This is from Family Electric Dose. Do we have Trist on the line? Yeah, hello. <laughs> oh, great. So uh, I just want to do a little introduction. Um, Family Electric Dose, we are indie uh, artists ourselves, but we've been doing this podcast since 2018. We okay. interview indie artists from around the world, and we have Trist from New York City on the line. Hey. <laughs> oh, great. Sorry, just trying to set up my microphone here. Now I can hear you better. Okay, great. So your um your website talks about how you uh you bring the blood and lipstick wrapped up in dark and gritty into our world, and that you uh kind of have a convergence of burlesque and macabre undertones, uh, and your new album Vulgar Virtue takes you on a journey of mystery for the enigmatic mind, um, and some of the artists that you're inspired by are Nine Inch Nails, Depeche Mode, Pink Floyd, The Cure, Kate Bush, David Bowie many, many more. And then the art of, um, you know, producers and film directors like David Lynch, Stanley Kubrick, and Salvador Dali. Yeah. So that's really cool. Cool. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. Oh. <laughs> well, I respect that. You know, my the name of my band is a phantom electric ghost, you know, so I'm kind of drawn by similar um, types of, of um, cinematic, uh, you know, imagery. Yeah, I, I actually wear like a phantom costume and a phantom mask when I do my show. So I'm into theatrics myself. So I That's appreciate anybody like that I has. like uh, before, go to the grocery store. I literally look like the invisible man. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think everybody's starting to look, look a little like a phantasm. <laughs> I'm um, so kind of into it. <laughs> yeah, so it's cool that you have this um really cool stage persona that, you know, you, that you name check. You know, David Bowie, who was like very famous for his personas mm -hmm. and um, Kate Bush, who had, you know, worked miracles with her work and yeah. imagery with people like Peter Gabriel and, uh, in the past. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll get into the questions I sent you. Yeah. So when when did you first get into music? Like what age? So I remember as far back as being three years old, I always say this was my first musical memory. I was like three years old and I was in my old Queens apartment at my parents, you know, little tiny apartment. MTV was on and uh, I remember Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Peppers and Losing My Religion by R.E.M. were like my favorite songs. And then I was like into like Never Gonna Get It by En Vogue. <laughs> Oh, that's that's very diverse taste. <laughs> very, very diverse taste. <laughs> and then um, I remember like another uh, early memory for me was being like seven years old, and my father was watching Pink Floyd's The Wall. I think it was like on cable. It was like on VH1 or something. And I remember seeing bits of bits and pieces of it, and it scared the crap out of me. The first scene I remember remembering was the animation, of course. And then the famous scene that I probably know seven-year-old kids should be watching, but <laughs> the kids going into the uh, the meat grinder during uh, Knuckles. Oh, yeah. That's pretty heavy stuff for a young kid. Yeah. Well, you know, I was, listen, at a young age, I always was kind of different and into like the more weirder, darker things, even though I was, you know, dressed up in children's clothing. <laughs> I always was yeah. uh, just into more of the stranger things and, and music. I, I, I was really into like, you know, new water. And when I was like, you know, 12 years old, I remember teachers like, how do you know all this eighties music and Depeche mode and all that. So I've really been, That's cool. yeah, I've been raised on all different types of music just from my parents. And then I got into like, you know, nine inch nails my own way when I was um, probably like 14 and I will say one more thing. Another early music memory I have is being probably like five or six years old. And I used to always go through my aunt's like um, cassettes that she had at the time. So this is like 1995, let's say. And I remember seeing uh, the downward spiral on cassette. And for some reason, I just was so drawn to it. And the, the cassette itself was like that squishy, fancy um kind of packaging and i don't know why i was so drawn to it and then that ended up mm -hmm. to this day is like my favorite album of all time like my biggest inspiration through that's interesting i i actually saw nine inch nails at woodstock you know the woodstock where green day uh, was throwing mud yes woodstock 94 I, yeah i was actually there and i saw trent Reznor that night and you know as a musician i mean i grew up i'm in my 50s so i'm kind of 
I'm into bands like, you know, Yes and Genesis, the Peter Gable Genesis yeah. and Emerson Lake and Palmer stuff. Like I'm a keyboardist. So nice. that's kind of where okay, I come from. Cool. But Trent yeah, but Trent Reznor, he really reinvigorated my belief in sense. Yeah. Um yeah. when I saw him with his Moog uh mini Moogs, mm-hmm. you know, mixing it with the guitars and the way he approached it, you know, cause new age stuff like New Order, I was into Joy Division, well, which is the band that yeah. predate that pre predates you know yeah uh, yeah yeah unknown pleasures it's like it's still i still play it all the Uh, time i was listening Um, to that the other night (laughs) yeah and it's just like you know uh disorder is probably one of my favorite songs i'm a keyboardist i'm always trying to get the sound of that track disorder yeah to be like it what i kind of drive when i'm playing my modes and my rollins and that is that's what i'm trying what i'm trying to do yeah (laughs) that really is that album is great and I also was listening to, because I love, like, I'm so inspired by 80s goth music. I love, like, The Cures, This Is a Mercy. Even though it's funny, I don't think they label themselves as goth, but I mean, like, yeah, fun. yeah. I mean, the only time you could listen to Sisters of Mercy is at night, and you have to have, like, 20 candles lit, and that's it. <laughs> that's <laughs> well, the I used best to listen way. to, yeah. <laughs> like, Echo and the Bunny Men. Yeah. And, you know, I was really into that. You know, I was really into New Order, mm-hmm. Depeche Mode I was into. And, you know, I was always into synth bands like The Cure. Yeah. I was always trying to get my little basement band. We were doing, like, tons of stuff um, from Head in the Door. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what where I, I totally was, like, enthralled with that record. Disintegration is definitely my favorite Cure album. Yeah, that one really kind of shows their like their synth pop new kind of new age wave like post new wave stuff. Yeah. But yeah, the, 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 I don't know. I was always drawn to head in the door just because of the melodies and stuff. But um, rewinding though, you mentioned Woodstock. That I was actually watching that whole thing yesterday, and I mean that always has been my favorite performance. The first um, performance I saw from that show, I remember I had to be probably like fifteen, and this is like when like. I guess YouTube was just like coming out. So you were able to like find all this stuff. And I was obsessed with their performance of happiness and slavery where he just like yeah. starts like trashing the keyboards and like dry humping them. <laughs> and well, I, yeah, it's kind of like my hero stuff stuff. wasn't working. So he was like pissed off. So he was just like, wrecking. yeah, they were just slamming it around and people were throwing mud and, you know, it was like raining. So probably it's not good for rain to be hitting Jupiter's. But and, it's like their best performance. It's so raw. It's so gritty. Yeah. Even though the sound, yeah, shit, like it just, it just worked. Well, when I was there, I mean, the power of it, even though they weren't able to get exactly what they wanted to come through, I mean, the guitars were coming through, mm-hmm. and the keyboards they got to work were coming through, and its sound was just unbelievable. I was like really close. Yeah. I was like really close to the main stage. Yeah. I stayed there, you know, all day, all night. Yeah. <laughs> Had my little, you know, with four or five of my friends, we were all camped out, and right. it's just. That experience, you know, I, I was a musician when I went there, and I was a young musician, you know, and had my, my basement bands and stuff, and we were just totally drawn into it. And, you know, I'm in my 50s. If you think about it, a kid in my age, we were all trying to re-experience the original Woodstock, yeah. and that's, oh, why, that's we, why we went yeah. there. <laughs> I wish I could experience that. Did you do a really good documentary about that, actually, on Netflix? And yeah, it was just an amazing thing to see so many great bands, you know, Green Day and, and, you know, they had some really awesome bands there. Some of the old bands that had been yet the original were there. And it was just really cool to see people really, you know, being, you know, pushed by, you know, people who play instruments and music and really, you know, they are great, you know, artists. And I was always drawn to that. I've always been drawn to singer songwriters, like what I'm talking to indie people like yourself. So like, how long have you been working on music since you were kind of, your, your father kind of got you into the, and your parents got you into it or, well, or, or you, know, you started getting into yeah, it? Yeah, I was always, I was actually originally a dancer. Uh, that was what I was raised with. I was a dancer for a long time. And then when I got into my angsty teenage years, I was like, screw this, rock and roll. So <laughs> I, I actually didn't start playing music until I was about 19 and I've had a few bands I've been in before, but the last probably like five years I've been just solo and just really just focused on like exactly what I want. And Mm -hmm. this album, I worked with another producer beforehand 
Um, and we did some really great stuff together. His name was Michael Spivak. And I, I was trying to do a little bit more. I was trying to do more like pop meets like Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> and oh, so you're doing a little bit more pop, more pop I was oriented. Doing more, more... It was, but it was still dark. You know what I'm saying? You can actually find an old video called Another Star on my YouTube channel. It was more trip hop, a little bit more of a lighter sound. Because I was just experimenting. I was doing such darker stuff for so long. And I, I do really love pop music, though. Like, I love Madonna. Um, you know, I love just you name it. So, even even freaking Spice Girls I grew up on as a kid. You know? So I've always been oh, yeah. surrounded by pop music as well. And I just, I love so many types of music. I love blues. I love jazz. I listen to classical. I listen to uh, doo-wop, I listen to 60s, 70s, like literally everything. I just, and I truly love it all. Um, I don't listen to stuff that is bad. <laughs> I would say. No, I think, I think what I've, I've interviewed about 35 bands in the last two years, mm-hmm. you know, and one of the things I noticed is a lot of, you know, indie artists, they're across the genre yeah. and everybody's pulling in this age. This is kind of like the age of like, you can pull in jazz, you can pull in, you know, new wave. People are bringing new wave back. You know, people are going and finding the old, you know, Prophet Fives and Jupiter Eights. I think and, the goth scene's you know, kind of coming back too. The goth music, you know, the yeah, yeah, and it's all coming that are like really good, like newer. Yeah, because it's just well, yeah, a lot of the synth manufacturers that went out of business. You know, mm-hmm. Moog and and um, Prophet that had created the keyboards that made the sound of bands like Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. And the cure I used to love came from like prop. As a kid. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Nick Rhodes played a Jupiter Eight. The ju- the sound of Duran Duran comes from the role in the analog polysynth, the Jupiter mm. Eight. Right, the Jupiter Eight is known as one of the greatest new wave synths next to the Prophet Five. Okay. And the reason, as a musician, is they were polyphonic analog synths yeah. that made these big fat chords. Mm-hmm. And so when you played them. They weren't just like the modes. Modes are great for bass lines and leads. But the whole thing about the new wave is the fact that he had these bands playing these Jupiters and they were playing these Prophet Fives and Oberheims. And these synths made very big fat chords that you hear in bands like Depeche Mode and The Cure and New Order. You hear those sounds uh, and they're not digital. And the reason they sound so fat is because they're analog. And and that's what makes the 80s sound sound that way. Um, and I was always drawn into that. Depeche Mode's like one of those <laughs> bands that um, I've seen probably Nine Inch Nails and Depeche Mode live the most out of any bands I've seen. And I swear to God, I totally like when you think of like Beatlemania, like with girls like fangirling, that's how I am when I go to a Depeche Mode show or a Nine Inch Nails yeah. show. And I was so lucky because uh, a few years ago I was in Vegas. I saw Nine Inch Nails two nights back to back. We went the first night and I woke up the next day. I was like, let's go again. And I, I found tickets literally like $150 cheaper than what I had originally bought the night before for. Same for, you know, general admission. I was like, screw it, let's go. And I saw mm-hmm. um, Depeche Mode that same year. And I literally, like two hours before the show, a friend of mine that I knew, I already had tickets. She literally gave me floor tickets right on the barricade. So I was like, of like you know, probably like five feet away from Day of God. And I was like, oh my god it was it was unbelievable it was like the best ex- uh, concert experience i ever had i'm like at the point in my life where i'm like you know what life's too short to buy cheap concert tickets even though i uh you know <laughs> like i bought nosebleeds and every time i buy them i'm just like damn it i should have just splurged for the better seats <laughs> mm-hmm. you know yeah well it's just like when you get to see your heroes i mean i saw the who I'm, I'm a big fan of the Who. I saw the Allman Brothers, and like you know, like I said, I kind of in my 50s. So some of those classic bands, I always wanted to see, and I did see them. I saw Roger and I, Waters and I saw Prince. years ago too. That was amazing. And I saw a couple Prince concerts. Ooh. You know, yeah, actually, and he was like un- unbelievable. Uh. He, like, he's on par. Like if you've ever saw people, just think he was like a pop star, but he was like a rocker. I mean, I I saw him at Paisley Park. Oh, yeah, sure. in Minneapolis. He's a- and I saw him, yeah, I saw him, yeah, I saw him play with a trio, right? And he had a bass player and a drummer, one of his MPG drummers and his bass player. And they played like a, like a Hendrixian set. 
and they were doing like Hendrixian like lines and blues, like Jack Hendrix or Santana, and it sounded just like that. And a lot of people don't don't realize how great a player he was in terms of that. I mean, they hear Purple Rain, but they don't know how how deep he yeah. can get. And uh, you know, I was a Prince head, so I used to go see him when I was in Minneapolis. I used to go to the park, and you'd have to be there at like three in the morning. When you get there at at midnight, and he wouldn't get on the stage till three. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you and he would actually play all these bootleg songs, all these like unreleased songs. You'd be sitting there well, in, in pace. He was just he 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 was like his own person. Like if you see yeah. the interviews, he's just like I'm really into astrology and stuff. Care. So I think he was he yeah. was a Gemini like me, and he had a, and he yeah. was a Scorpio yeah. rising. So he had a lot of darkness and just wackiness to him. <laughs> well, the cool thing was like for for a pop star, he was probably the most experimental pop star that ever got to be like at number yeah. one, <clears throat> because he didn't really care about. He ended up getting the number one, but he really didn't care about being number one. He he cared about the music, well, and so if the music people. happened to <laughs> click with the people, then 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 it would be number one. But once he was out of sync with the people, then he wasn't being number one anymore. But you know that's what happened with Kurt Cobain, like you talked. Yeah, about. that's all just yeah. like celebrity stuff, though. You know, it's like if you're and the way I see it is like when you're writing, and this is just from my personal experience, like with this last album I put out, um, it was all just probably the most like raw that like I ever wrote. And the most real and the response to it has been like incredible. Like I've been getting like nothing but amazing feedback. I've been selling physical copies of the CD, which is like awesome because I was hesitant to even make them. I'm like, who buys CDs anymore? I love CDs, but I don't think anyone buys them anymore. But yet they're selling. So like it's it's I feel like when I got more just real and you know allowed yeah. myself to do that and not i didn't follow like any formula when it came to writing especially like on the last track of the album 28 guns that was heavily actually inspired after watching uh pink floyd's echoes how it kind of goes like up and down and it goes into this whole groove and it's just like that that's where that came mm -hmm. from for me so I didn't want to follow any specific formula. And it's just, I feel like once you just let yourself be free with that, then people are going to respond to that because there's a deeper connection with that, you know? Yeah. Well, I, well, that's why, I mean, I've talked to bands that have like producers and they want to be like on the track to be like the next pop star. So they try to get people to give them, you know, a 21 pilot sound or they want to get, like a popular band of the day, they want to get that sound and they, they, they try to get the same writing and the same production. But what I find with a lot of indie alternative bands I talk to, is kind of like, it's about like who they are as a songwriter and they just want to be honest, you know, and they get an audience because of their honesty, you know, that your audience, when you're kind of like, I grew up with college radio, like, you know, with REM and REM kind of created their own genre. And when they were writing, like, nothing sounded like them you know they 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 used rickenbackers like the birds but they didn't sound like mm -hmm. the birds they had this different sound and people couldn't even tell what michael stipe was saying on the irs yeah. records but they felt the energy yeah. and they felt they, they, they this was different and then you know they got signed to warners and they got super big and he, nobody would ever thought that an indie alternative band with a guy that kind of mumbles the lyrics and you can't really hear what they are they would tell every producer would say well oh, that's not Maybe. gonna work that that's the, not gonna work. I was watching a thing about um, Marilyn Manson too yesterday, just like how when he first got started, and just like every label was like, "Oh my god, like no," you know. It's it's, and it's just funny because now it's like he's like an iconic figure, you know, of like the '90s. And mm -hmm. I feel like if Manson tried to come out today, I don't know if he would make it because I feel like at the time, the '90s was still like this this period of like there wasn't really much like shock rock going on and he was like shock rock. Yeah. Alice Cooper. Yeah. The Alice Cooper of the day. I mean, he had kind of dropped yeah. off this kind of shock stuff that Alice had done, you know, and then some of the, like the real death metal bands, you know, they were in a niche, but Alice had gotten that really yeah. big thing, you know, he I Iron Maiden too, and, you know, <laughs> years ago. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I was drawn into that stuff. Cause I was, I mean, I was just listening to a bunch of Frank Zappa you know, in the Mothers of Invention, I, that's really, and I, I'm into like Parliament Funkadelic and the Mothers of Invention and, and Parliament Funkadelic are kind of yeah. way out there in terms of like, they're not super 
popular, but Parlor and Funkadelic is the basis of all hip hop. Like almost every hip hop producer in the '90s and early '80s, they sampled Parliament yeah. Funkadelic um, because the, that is the basis of a lot of hip hop. You know, hip hop. So, hip hop is one you know, of those things it's... like I actually never really got into 100. There's like some. There's definitely like some hip hop songs I'm into, mm-hmm. but I uh, I don't know. I never mm-hmm. really got into it. I don't know. <laughs> I try. <laughs> but I'm saying like, yeah, but this is interesting that like, the bands, you know, they're kind of like we're really kind of out there musically like you know the zappa and the and the mothers of invention and parlor and funkadelic it, the reason you know they kind of groove oriented and they they mixed jazz with funk and classical structures and so those bands are very kind of out there in terms of like really being pushing the envelope um and so they're interesting when you sample from them if you if you're some a band that samples those samples are very interesting and they're not well known except for the people that love that music. So you, you, you can find grooves. And so the whole thing about hip hop is all groove oriented. And so when you have bands that are heavy, groovy, groove oriented, then they tend to get sampled a lot. So that's right. where that comes from. But um, um, yeah, so let me back into my whole question. So we were talking about your influences. We already kind of talked about Nine Inch Nails and, and The Cure uh, and Kate Bush and other, other bands and like bands like, um, you know, like we were talking about, you know, the um, the new uh, new order yeah. in the past mode, but your new sound is kind of like a modern interpretation of that, and it's like more, it's kind of cross genre. So maybe you can talk about like like you you're doing your own thing, but I can hear your influences, and it's not you're not like taking a carbon copy of those influences. I can I can hear where totally. where you're coming I love, from. Like, um, so maybe usually when I when I do a lot of the songs, like this album too, I was listening to a lot of um, Massive Attack and Portishead as well, who I, I really got into. Mm-hmm. And th- I loved like their, like their chill, like slow down type of beats. And I wanted to take something like that, but like do it even like just more darker and like harder. So I can tell you like even Alice in Chains is like a huge influence on my Oh, the grunge. I yeah, I can hear Alice that. And, Chains. And, and, and Depeche Mode, as far as like their synth layers and everything go, I'm I'm all about mm-hmm. layers and texture. And I feel like there's a lot of, I feel like a lot of music that gets put out today lacks so much depth and that whole structure. I mean, the reason why I fell in love with Depeche Mode yeah. is because they had so many layers in their songs and different sounds and it kind of wrapped around you. You know, and that's what I was trying to do with, with my yeah. music is have it just be this music that just kind of wraps around and it's not like right in your face and it's not like empty and it's not repetitive, you know, it's and the whole the whole thing is Which, like a, a concept yeah. album really from start to finish. There's a whole story. It's, you know, but I, I leave it all up to interpretation. You know, I have my own story to it, but everyone else is open to interpretation. But I like how some of your songs, like Touch, has this kind of like it, it's kind of it has this kind of it's very mm-hmm. quiet at the beginning. You yeah, kind of open yeah. it up, and and that's that's kind of the the kind of hallmark of like progressive rock bands. If you go back, you know, whether you like like a band like Yes or Genesis, but they used to start songs off oh, yeah. with that kind of you know crazy. Yeah, they, they would start things off, and it would you know they ten minute songs, you know five. You have nine minute song. They like twenty eight guns. Is that that's oh, very yeah, progressive? That, like I said, you that know? one specifically. Like we were probably listening to so much Pink Floyd echoes before making that because I just was obsessed. Yeah, with... yeah, that's yeah, rock opera. Pompeii, that video <laughs> is just, I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> but it's weird because you know today a lot of bands like if I look at your song lengths, you know. A lot of bands they have two minute songs, one minute, yeah. fifty second songs, three minutes. Your songs, you have a five minute and a nine minute, and then a lot right. of are over four minutes. And again, today's pop, for, well, even music formula, that where everybody's in their DAW, they're in I Ableton, know. they're in Pro Tools. Not that you know, and they kind of use the grid, and they kind of just uh, you know go with, like it seems like you know I don't know if I try to equate it, but if yeah. you go back to the fifties. In the 50s, you had the kind of like totally. bubblegum era of, of, of people did like the two-minute, yeah. three-minute pop song, and maybe it right. didn't really mean that much. It very catchy, very structured. Tons of bands had the same structure, same story, 
your you know about your 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 girlfriend or your boyfriend you know whatever it wasn't really deep um and very very catchy um and then you get to the 60s and the Beatles open up with Sgt. Pepper and then suddenly all these other bands like Pink Floyd and other bands start realizing what you can do with the album um and that you can actually say something and it doesn't have to be boy girl romance you know it could be Oh yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm into their original stuff, you know, before they they got big, you know, with their original lineup, um, and and they were total psychedelic band, you know, yeah, totally experimental, not pop oriented at all. Waters. I mean, to um, me, he is to me Roger Waters is Pink Floyd. After anything after Waters, I don't listen to honestly because I'm just so like I love animals. The wall. Yeah, well, Roger is the is, is like Pete Townsend to the he's who. You know, he's, he's the he's, he's the idea guy. Man. Yeah, well, he's the idea man. I mean, he has all the ideas. I mean, all the rock yeah. operas come from him. You know, wish yeah. we were here. You know, animals, the the wall, all these ideas. Yeah. They're his ideas, and when you don't have right. him, you get Pink Floyd songs that are like, you know, they're not structured in yeah. in terms of concepts. They don't. They don't have the concept. It's lost. It's not there. It's even if they try to do it, they don't have his literary capability. I mean, he's yeah. a great writer. The Wall is like the, um, probably one of the and best, he, in my opinion, like one of the best uh, rock albums ever made. I I love Dark Side of the Moon, but The Wall to me is just like. The Wall is a full concept. It's like like the Dark Side of the Moon was 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 like he was trying to do it. And Wish We Were Here is a concept. But the wall shows like the development I mean, of him as a writer. Amazing albums too. So, it's so, so hard to like pick and choose, you know. <laughs> well, it depends on what day, you know. Can sometimes wish you were here because because it's talking yeah. about Sid Barrett, yeah. and it's very personal. And and you could say, well, you know, depending on your mood, that album really Listen, does say a lot. One time I was at a bar but the in wall... Long Island, and it was like one of those <laughs> bars on the water, and it was just this like, you know. You know, these guys just playing cover at this like place called the Lazy Lobster, and I just yelled, yelled out, I was like, play Pink Floyd, and they went into uh, Shine On You Crazy Diamond, which I was like shocked, because usually yeah. you say, you know, play Pink Floyd, they're going to play, yeah, Pink Floyd, play, they won't you know, play like, that. but they yeah. went into Shine On, and I was like, what, they played it for like a good... That's like if they played yeah. pigs on the wing, you know, you usually don't get pigs on the wing. You don't usually Listen, get anything from a, animals. I was at a bar recently to... and I put dogs on <laughs> and the woman actually cut it off because I guess, you know, it was like kind of like that quiet part, like in the middle, but then it goes into the whole, like, yeah. you know, amazing. Yeah, yeah. they can't stand it. It's, uh, it's too she experimental. It off on me and I was like, did she? Re-? And I, Listen, when I go to the jukebox, I purposely buy like the longest songs to get my money's worth. And she turned it off on me, and I was like, she really needs to do that. <laughs> what? Yeah, why'd you have to play, do that? Like, that? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but what I like about what you're doing is like, you know, and I see a lot more bands. Like the last couple of bands I've talked to, like I talked to a band from Australia, and they yeah. were talking about Floyd, and they were talking about like mm-hmm. concept albums. You know, they were talking about like Tommy yeah. and Quadrophenia. And it seems like more bands are kind of appreciating the idea that even though we're in this kind of Spotify yeah. playlist era where people mm-hmm. just jump around and they, they, you know, people don't have the, like the patience to listen to an al- album. But, but what I found is like in the, in the indie world, in the bands, like the band, like yeah. well, who I'm talking to you now is all the artists mm-hmm. that are in this space are, are doing things where the fans want, kind of what you're doing you know they they want to get a singer songwriter that has a vision and they're willing to buy your project they'll buy your cd they'll buy your merch they'll see your show they they really want to get back to that where they just don't want to have a playlist experience they want to see an artist and hear what they have to say music was just my therapy and it still is but like you know, like I said, angsty teenager, you know, uh, I'm sure everyone's got a story, you know, and I, I had some real crazy, crazy, you know, effed up years. I'm trying to not curse so much. I dropped the F-bomb too much, so pardon me. <laughs> well, that's but, all right. We're, 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 we don't have a problem. Know, Let's come like, out with you know, anything. a foul mouth <laughs> woman here. <laughs> you know, it's like, so for me, like, uh I got into another favorite band of mine too. It's Queens of the Stone Age. 
there's nine inch nails yeah nine oh inch yeah nails that's, a great Stone Age. that's a great that's a great not was like my freaking it was my bible at music mm. you know like it was it was what i connected to and i would put those cds on start to finish and it was just it spoke to me and it still does to this day you know and i think that a lot of um the reason why I think my album's been getting of the response it's been getting is because I connect kind of with a little bit of everyone. I think I connect with those 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 teenagers that like need that that music that's going to speak to them in a in a more deeper way or a darker way. And you know, my music also I feel like it's just you know people that are like yeah like in their fifties love it because they can hear Pink Floyd references and stuff like that. So. Oh yeah, well I hear I yeah. hear your Nine Inch Nails. I hear, you know, I hear the the, the you know going back to like the Joy Division, mm-hmm. New Order sound. You know, and I'm 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 like like I said, I grew up like yeah. in bands like The Clash. You know, I loved I loved mm-hmm. like the Sex Pistols, and I I liked the Susie and the Banshee. I was like really into the CBGB kind yeah. of scene. You know, um, th- those kind of bands that really were like had that kind of raw power. You know, yeah. even like Iggy and the Stooges. You know, the kind of raw power that you get from what I call the punk aesthetic. The punk aesthetic is what, you know, Kurt Cobain and, and Pearl Jam and Allison Chains and Soundgarden, they brought that back because it always comes back. You'll get like a period where you'll get like a new wave. You get the Duran Duran, you get all that, you get the hair bands, yeah. but then you got Kurt and you've got Hole and you've got Allison Chains because people wanted something that was raw yeah. and honest. In, in in kind of you know that that kind of format where you come out with that raw power, I, there's nothing like it. I think that when I hear that, it always I mean, invigorates. I, me. <laughs> uh, what was I say? Oh, look, I'm totally having like a brain fart uh, uh, while I'm doing an interview. That's great. <laughs> now, what I was gonna say is that you know, <laughs> it's just I feel like a lot of the music that's just put out there, you know, can be very disconnecting sometimes. You know. And well, it seems kind of corporate, not to put down, but sometimes it seems like there's like well, a manufactured, yeah. you know, top fifty thing worse, going on, you know? and you get this. <laughs> yeah, you got the same producers, and I know I'm I'm a musician and producer, and I'll get these requests yeah. from some of the companies I work with, and they'll say, "Sound like this band." But Sound see, like this not, song, that's not, and you know that's what. But hey, listen, when that's I what's going when, on. <laughs> when Britney Spears came out, okay, I was a little kid, and I was like, I loved Britney Spears. I still love Britney Spears, but it was funny to see all those copycats mm-hmm. that came out after her, and they never, they never succeeded. So it's oh, like, yeah. what's the that's... point of making copycats? What happened to just original artistry? Well, that's the problem. The record industry doesn't seem to understand. That, you know, from the beginning, you know, the monkeys were a copy of the Beatles. Badfinger was a copy of the Beatles that the Beatles even made a copy of themselves, which was called Badfinger. But but that's the way the industry has always been. You know, the industry has always done this thing where they burn out the genre. I mean, the disco era got burned out because every band started copying the beat. And then eventually that beat was just so overused that it just burned it out more recently Um, actually um was uh jane's addiction i never really listened to them until probably like the past year oh that's a great i love perry farrell because i feel like he's just so on like another planet with like the way he talks sometimes like there's a video of him actually at woodstock 94 and he's in porno for pyros and they're doing pets and he's Mm -hmm. like at the end he's like Watch out for the millennium in the year 2000 when the aliens come and <laughs> rescue us, whatever he says. And I just love it. I want to live in that he's mindset. Like, but I've yeah. never seen this old interview of him from like the early 90s. And he's like talking about how he lost his creativity because there's just so much, you know, corporate stuff that got involved. And... Garbage. <laughs> yeah, well, he, yeah, he, it's hard when you're an innovator like him. Yeah. But he's like a zapper. I mean, he kind of yeah. came from that kind of idea from, you know, like mm-hmm. Alice Cooper, Zappa, you know, Queen band, the bands like that have big ideas and are wanting to write something yeah. that takes, you know, it costs money. You know, the problem is that, you know, record companies want to, well, I'll get this producer yeah. and you should do this cover and you should do, and they, they kind of want to go yeah. that way. They want to make the most money. 
and I understand that. But but the problem is it goes against the creative you know nature of of a true creative artist. Is because what's going to happen when you're a creative artist, you'll mm-hmm. do you'll do your big hit, and you usually yeah. never match your biggest hit. You you you'll, you and, and the record company keeps on thinking. You're gonna sell eight million, right? Like your big hit, and then you drop right. down to well, two, they did and then that they say with you the, When Nine right? Inch Nails so you, you... released uh, the Fragile, uh, it was number one the first week, and then it dropped to the second week. And his response to that was just like, "I have a solid fan base, you know, that wanted to get it when it came out, and then they all got it, and then that was it." But they looked at that as like a failure. Meanwhile, it's like, "Come on, the Fragile is like another one of those amazing." albums that nine inch nails has just put out that's like definitive and you know when when kate bush uh david gilmore actually discovered kate bush when she was like like 15 and at the time they actually allowed her to develop her artistry and everything and her music for like two years and it's like i just i don't think you hear about that today and kate bush is one of those artists what the way yeah a record company yeah, you know, they'll never put that kind of money. They'll take somebody that mm-hmm. developed themselves on yeah, YouTube very and then bring so them in. So, listen, you know. my goal with everything is, obviously, I want to be playing to masses. I, would, I want to play to anyone that wants to come see me play. Because it's all about, for me, when it comes to writing music, it's all about making that connection with the people that are listening to it and wanting them to just be a part of this dark you know as i say my dark gritty noir world that i envision in my brain when i'm writing and performing and you know i think so maybe yeah sorry go ahead so maybe get yeah i wanted to talk a a little bit about your Mm -hmm. performance because i've seen some of your videos and the description is like you've got like i can see the the bowie influence and the alice cooper influence and the your stage show you you're trying you're not trying you are doing that stagecraft that is very theatrical so maybe you can maybe talk yeah. about like your stage show and your theatrical well, aspects so of your, of a lot your performance. of the uh, performance videos i've been uh sharing is i was doing uh for the past like i guess over a year now i started doing burlesque around manhattan and it was just another creative outlet for me while i was writing this album to just kind of stay creative i love performing or being on stage and i once the second I got into it, it felt very natural to just be able to express myself with music that I grew up on and loved. So um, definitely when I've performed, um, I haven't done an album release show yet just because it got canceled due to everything going on right now. But when my past previous performances, I've always just been a theatrical person. I, I've had dancers with me on stage. I've had just props and stuff like that. And, you know, this, uh, with this album, you know, it's all about visuals. So I've been making, you know, visual uh, videos to project behind me that all, you know, correspond with the song. And, you know, I'm so inspired by watching light shows that, you know, people are able to put on. And I'm just like, I want to emulate that in my performances because... It's all about that atmosphere you create, you know, but with my burlesque acts, I definitely get uh, a little crazy. I I mean, I've done uh, Marilyn Manson shows, Typo Negative, Nine Inch Nails. So it's all, you know, I'm all inspired by that. So when I go on stage and I do burlesque, I'm not even like. It's almost like an out-of-body experience. It's strange. It's like I don't even... I'm like an autopilot. It just comes naturally. And then I watch the video back, and I'm like, holy crap, what did I just do? <laughs> well, it's kind of like if you think about what Bowie, you know, yeah. he would become Ziggy, right? And he would become the Thin White Duke. Yeah. yeah. And then Alice it's Cooper, great. he became like, Alice. Yeah, it just it's Like another you. example it's, of that. I don't know how to describe <laughs> it, but it feels very natural because I yeah, feel it, good when I'm up there. And when I move and, and dance and everything, it's not really a choreographed. It's all just, you know, it just does, it just happens. <laughs> That's because I've talked to some artists, right? They don't have like a stage persona per se. They don't, they don't become like another person. Like you, like you see Alice mm-hmm. or you see Bowie or see uh, Lady Gaga or even like Madonna. They, yeah. they, they became this other me, totally. this other version of themselves. And, you know, 
And I, I find like even with artists who say they don't, they really do. Like if you go on your stage persona, even if you're wearing blue jeans and just a shirt, right? The stage persona of a rock star, you know, is not exactly who they are in private. So they might try to say, well, that's their authentic me, but it doesn't really, they don't act the same way. Everybody has kind of like this mask and some people, you know, do a level of theatrics that's way beyond who they are. Um, it actually becomes like like they're being a method actor well, it's and they kind of fall Paul into told it. Me that, and, uh, you know, even, I got yeah. before being uh, one of my shows, I made up this character called uh, Lolita La Lucifer. And she was, uh, she was a mixture of Lolita, <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's Lolita, who was doing a uh, sacrifice of a, of a man. So that was the character I created. And it's funny because, you know, it involved a lot of fake blood or real blood. I guess we'll never know. But the girl told me on the side of the stage, she's like, she's like, Mm -hmm. it's so funny. She's like, you go on stage and you're so dark and you're like, like you do like scary stuff. And then, then, you know, when you talk to you, you're just very bubbly and like happy. And I'm like, I, that's just me. I'm, I'm, I'm like such like a, a peace loving hippie child at heart. I, uh, you know, I'm, I mm-hmm. like to think I'm very respectful and nice towards everyone. And I'm old. I believe in karma. Be nice to others. You'll get that back. But when I go on stage, it's like, that's where I can just be this other, you know, like I said, I'm a Gemini. So I got this kind of split thing. I got like this yeah, one yeah, side. Yeah, you got that. Yeah, and, yeah, the yin and yeah, yin and the end, you know. It's like, that needs to, to come out, and if know, I don't let it come out, I go crazy. <laughs> well, that's right, man. When I, you know, I have my own stage persona, if you've ever mm-hmm. seen, like, Josephine Electric is me. Mm-hmm. You know, she's my, the lead singer of my band, and she's the female part of me. I use a voice order to actually, <laughs> you know, become Josephine Electric, who is the uh-huh. lead singer of my band, Fam yeah. Electric Ghost, and it's a band full of ghosts. And, and the, the idea is like we're kind of like the gorillas. We got characters in the band, and I right. kind of play another another version of me. And you know, when I, you know, the whole people I said, well, why don't you just do it straight? You know, and then this whole quarantine thing, I've been doing shows where I just am myself without my gear, without my mask, without my stuff, just you know, because it's kind of this kind of time period. And okay, I'll, I'll kind of right. yeah. I'll show you like an unplugged version of me. <laughs> um, but but when I do a show in New York or Boston, I'm I'm in my full gear and I'm I'm, I'm I become like this character Joseph. You know? and, I, I don't and, I don't I, I can't imagine yeah. not doing any type of performance. Like I said, I've been doing it for probably now like I don't know, ten years and it's just I'm gonna be making music no matter what. I'll be making music till I'm like ninety yeah. probably. <laughs> So when we come out of the quarantine, you've got all these visuals yeah, that you're going to use for your stage for show it with a guitarist and drums and all that. But it, you know, the it was supposed to be uh, April fourth, and we had to, you know, obviously cancel. But you know, I am hoping that you know once this all ends and it's all safe to come out, that it's going to get even more people out because we've been locked away for so long. Oh well, yeah. Well, I think you think it's going to be pretty big for the artists when we come back out. There's going to be a lot of people who are music fans that are itching to go back into the festival club scene. You know, they're going to want to see a lot of bands. And I think they're also going to want to see bands that actually have something to say. You know, they're going to be kind of a little bit more looking for maybe escapism and and, and people coming up with ideas yeah. like rock opera type ideas, you know, or album oriented. I think people are going to be looking for stuff that, that has a little deeper meaning. Like exactly um, right now. And I'm just like, perfect. Because honestly, I was a little hesitant at first because I released it cool. on March 21st. And that was probably like, I think, what, a week or two into this whole lockdown situation. And I was hesitant, but I said, screw it. I mean, like, mm-hmm. Why not? I mean, one thing's for sure. Yeah. I know everybody is going to be home on their computers so I can, can promote it easily. <laughs> but two, I think it's yeah. good to just put that out there because some people just need that outlet. They need a new outlet that's going to inspire them or just help them during all of this, you know? 
So I think what's interesting because I've talked to some bands that said, "Well, I'm going to hold off because I I kind of want my album to go with my tour," and so they don't want to do it. But I've seen other bands say, "You know what? The world's changed. So I'm actually going to put out like two albums and tons of singles and go go on yeah. Twitch and go on Facebook Live and." They've been du- doubling down on saying, you know what, I'm actually going to put out more content and, you know, maybe I'll come up with a different album when I go on tour, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to go all out album, because, you know, know everything. I've, I've written a bunch <laughs> of songs and, you know, started off on bass. I got lyrics. So, you know, my studio where I record is in Brooklyn. So, you know, I, I'm not going back there until pretty much all this clears mm-hmm. up, but I've got the, the, uh, the skeleton of it down, I guess you could say. So. Uh, do you have a home? Do you have a home oh, yeah, recording no, like studio, or you mostly go home, to the, to you your know, own studio? I get more, I can really just what I do at home more like demo stuff, yeah. and then when I go into the yeah, studio, the real studio, I can really just get down <laughs> yeah, to yeah. the nitty gritty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I can't, I live in New Hampshire, so we have a lot of studios around, so. Hey, I'm like listen, a bedroom producer with tons today. of gear. The great thing about that is like, it's easy with Pro Tools and all yeah. that. You know, you can just, you don't have to worry about running out of studio. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of, I'm a, I kind of double down. I'm a dollless producer. I use oh, like wow. nothing but okay. analog digital hardware sims with like, with, yeah. um, with actual digital recorders. And I kind of use like, you know, what task cam, you know, and, yeah. and zoom R uh, 24s, 24 track recorders. And I kind of do it old school, but, but then I don't have to, you know, I I'm on, I have a distribution deal with two labels and I pretty much do most of my own. I have recording engineers to take my stuff, yeah. but most of my stuff is totally done in my home studio and I've been able to put it out. And, you know, I invested in that in the last five years and, it was kind of really cool because I've been able to put, I've been doubling yeah. down and I've put up, you know, tons of material and I don't really have to wait. Um, so it's just something, yeah, as a keyboardist, I kind of like, okay, I need these keyboards. I can't yeah. just go to the studio all the time. So I, I invested already, in them. If I had already um, performed my album, then that's I would what probably I mean. be into doing more live stream stuff. But because I haven't performed any of this yet, I'd rather hold off because, you know, you always want the first experience to be, so you, you, know, you want to hold it's not off the yeah. same, you know, being, you know, mm-hmm. live stream can only go so far, but everybody misses the, the energy of being in a room together and, and, and yeah. seeing a, a show, you know? So if you thought like, like your, your live performance, like, because you kind of become the, your character, you become your, 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 your stage presence. Have you thought like, because the way you do your work, uh, does like an unplugged version not work for you because oh, no, of the way could, you have to, totally way you present yourself. Like you wouldn't think. Like, and I used, it's funny. Um, it could be done for sure. I just, I've never really done unplugged. I remember actually uh, one of the shows I did in Manhattan was at the duplex and there was this huge piano on the stage and uh, it was going to be in the way the whole time anyway. So I was like, let me just use this. And I did uh, piano driven versions of, um, Heart Shaped Box, Blue Monday, and uh, Nobody Home, Pink Floyd, The Wall. But I've always wanted to go back and do that mm-hmm. again because I think that my songs for sure could be done on piano or acoustic. It's just, you know, I, I'm, I'm so into yeah. the, yeah. just the atmosphere that I feel like I created with the sound, and, you know. Going back, because mm-hmm. you mentioned character, I don't even think that what I do on stage is a character. It's really just me, but it's it's just, again, it's that side mm-hmm. of me that, that lives within me that can only really come out when I'm on stage because, like I said, it's like autopilot. I don't know. Maybe it's like a demonic possession mm-hmm. I'm unaware of or something, but... <laughs> Well, it's like the muse yeah, coming through you, know, and it's like the other muse like, being part of what I do like, with my you know, my me to the yeah. Illuminati as a kid, and that's my uh, demonic energy coming in. Who knows? But it's there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I take this concept from like romantic poetry, like Wordsworth and all yeah. these romantic poetries, to talk about the looking glass, which is a mirror, yeah. and yeah. You, when you look in that mirror, you see the other me, right? And the yeah. other me 
is like Ziggy, you know, or it's the thin white Duke or it's Lady Gaga. When they look in that mirror, yeah, that's the other me. And so it's I really it's you, needs to find but that it's that too, other you. You I know? think people get too wrapped up in uh, the idea of routine. And then when you get too wrapped up in routine, you get kind of scared to maybe go outside the box a little bit and, and discover things maybe about yourself or other things, whether they're, mm-hmm. they're weird or dark or unsettling or whatever it may be. I mean, I'm a huge, like David Lynch is probably my favorite director. And oh, yeah. Yeah, and his yeah, Twin Peaks and all so everything he did. The, you know, and about, it's like yeah. David Lynch is like this. Like when you hear him talk, he talks very just. He's like this, and he's just so positive, and he meditates, and he's, you know, he's just got this great way of thinking. But then you see his mm-hmm. artwork, and it's like so dark, and it's it's freaky, and it's but it's got so much meaning behind yeah, it. Yeah, it's and like I think that everybody needs some type of creative outlet, no matter what it is. Music, that. Yeah, it's like kind of like yeah. clock, you know, Kubrick's a clockwork sure. orange. That's super dark, you know. That's kind of like a lot like Lynch's work is kind of like clockwork orange, kind of like yeah. um, it has that kind of vibe. And and I've always been kind of drawn to the kind of idea. I know I have this idea with yeah. my character, Josephine, that she's a psychic vampire. That yeah. She's a phantasm and she kind of pulls the energy from people, she's not exactly yeah. like a physical Those vampire, she's a psychic things. vampire, <laughs> and she kind of pulls, <laughs> yeah. Well, the idea yeah. is like she kind of pulls people's karma, hey, listen, and I've, it kind I've of com- comes back on them. Yeah, it kind of throws it back at them, though. <laughs> but that's the idea of her character, but it's just. Yeah, you know, if you, you, when you when you're an artist, you come up with like where are you coming from, you know, as an artist, what what are you gonna use? And you know, a lot of artists they use you know pain, you know, you use personal tragedies or you know, personal experiences to kind of drive what you do. So you take things that you have in your life, you maybe you yeah. exaggerate it or change it a little bit, um, but a lot of it comes from yeah. like your own experiences, and you make it relatable. Uh, and I think that's why people like music even if you didn't you know they interpret your song to be something about what happened to them even though it happened to you you know your fans will take something like i said i love pop music and pop music can be very just like you know one layer and easy but that's fun and all and i i love that stuff and i like to experiment with all different genres and you know but when it comes down to just writing i noticed that all of my writing just always is going to just come from personal experiences. And a lot of them are, you know, painful and, you know, there's, there's happy moments too, of course. But for me, I've just, I feel like I, I always say like I lived like 10 lives in 10 years. Like I've got stories that you wouldn't mm-hmm. believe that will, you know, eventually come out, you know, when I'm ready to just talk more openly about stuff like that. But it's like, you know, I, it's almost like this album was taking all of that in the last 10 years and just wrapping it up into this. And it's amazing because when you can write, I mean, I always just tell people, even if you're not a writer or a musician, nothing, it's just so good just to write and just get what is out on your mind on paper. It doesn't have to rhyme. I've got notebooks where it's just like little, just like scribblings of just whatever's coming to mind, boom, and I write it down. And it's so therapeutic. So when I write a song, it's like, it's like exercising a demon in a sense, you know, it's just getting that out. And then once I have it, it's like, cool. Now I can move on to the next subject to write about. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I was always drawn to this kind of idea. I was, I was, I was always, you know, looking at Dylan and Dylan used to do a lot through my consciousness. Um, And then he would, have all this, all this stuff that he was recording, have the guys turn the mic on. He just kind of, you know, he re- he would read all this yeah. stuff. He'd read all this romantic poetry and Italian, you know, stuff, all these great books. And then he take, <laughs> yeah. And you take all that and you kind of do a stream of consciousness and you let it go. And then it kind yeah. of, you let your mind take in out that muse and it just becomes you know, th- th- you know, it just becomes like a therapy. You're, you're basically 
you know, healing yourself by taking your, your pain and turning it into art. And I think every painter, every musician, every actor takes that and, and they, they use it to create their art, you know, and that's yeah, how and you channel that and you create David something. Bowie, with uh, this interview with David Bowie in the nineties. And he talks about how being an artist, like you kind of have to <laughs> be an artist. You're not completely a hundred percent like sane. And it, it just, it, and he's right. And I always said to myself, I said, why do I have yeah. this desire to just go on stage and perform and like, you know, work with blood and, and just, you know, uh, get, crazy and 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 just let go like that and it's like you 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 have there's what is what is it that desire that makes us want to do that and it's like you know i wouldn't say it's a normal thing you know but it's just well i think i think all creatives kind of pull a little bit of uh you know totally you're a little <laughs> off balance you know, like to be a creative yeah, to be a creative because you're making the you're making decisions, you're investing in stuff, and people would like, you know, as a musician, people would say, "Why are you going to invest in these synthesizers? Why are you going to invest in it?" Right. Every musician would invest in their tools of what they do, right? And people would always tell you, "Well, you should yeah. go put that money in an IRA. <laughs> you should go do this." Yeah, the logical thing yeah. would be to go put it away in an investment and buy, you know, do this and and be like, you know. Yeah. The, the, the you know the average american person oh. right but then creative people we can't do that because we, we're we're gonna go and maybe take yeah. a risk put an investment in ourselves okay. that other people are not going to understand because they're not they're not creative so they they don't see why you would want to buy a guitar why you pay for studio right. time why would you do that you know they can't put it together I'm, and so I'm we're listen, always going to be I, kind I, of I could never, well, what are you one, doing I, you know I'm not a nine to <laughs> i mean i'm a i i do you know i'm a I freelance i actually you know my my mortal uh income was you know makeup artistry mm -hmm. which was very rewarding to me but you know when i tried to do corporate for a bit it was terrible i lost all my creativity i was in front of a computer texting phones emails you know it was just it was like around the mm -hmm. clock like that and i was drained and i just went back to freelancing again and you know it's hard because it was like you know some weeks maybe i'd work one day a week some weeks maybe it's four days a week it was just always all over the place but i somehow always managed to just get by and you know not be homeless on the streets or anything like that you know but I, I just, I always wonder, like, where am I going to be? Oh, yeah, years it's hard. Now, you know? <laughs> and I just, all I ever say to myself is just, I'm going to be making music. Maybe I'll be living down in New Orleans, playing some blues music or whatever. I don't care. I just, I need creativity in my life. Yeah, we have, we have to go. Creative yeah. people always have to kind of go where our muse takes us. And it's yeah. like, you know, it's not the normal, like, nine to five thing, you know. You, you, yeah. Like I'm a freelance too. I'm an, I'm I'm a like technology right. guy, right? But I can't stand being in a cubicle, so I'm right. always doing like like you know, work from home or or remote stuff, or I'll do a gig for six months and do something, and then, you know I'm be able totally to do the rest of the year doing my music because my fan and, base has been really growing in the UK, and I really just have a good feeling about the UK, and mm -hmm. I I would really love. Yeah, my plan oh, is yeah, to, it's a good get place to go. Some, some it's a good place to go. Book some shows, and you know, I've never even been over there. So take a vacation and perform. Well, the BBC will put the BBC plays a lot of stuff. They play multiple genres. They yeah. they have shows that have, you know, Jules Holland and stuff. They they have shows that allow mm -hmm. people from multiple bands, yeah. multiple genres, to be on the same show. You know. The same network, their radio has like every genre, um, and they 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 let indie bands. I mean, there are bands from Boston that go down there. Bands from you know, I mean, yeah, you know, I, Hendrix I, had I to go to, to London actually, I, to get found. I forgot that he opened he up, I think, for the Monkees, didn't he? Yeah, well, he 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 originally went to London because the, the Animals, the band, the Animals. One of the band members, a guy named Chad mm -hmm. Chandler, saw him playing at the, you know, in New York, and brought him to to to, to um to to London, right. and then invited and, like Paul McCartney yeah, and George Harrison, Eric Clapton, all these big guys. 
to to see him. Yeah, well, he had they all saw him play like in London, and they all got blown away. Eric Clapton, when he saw Hendrix, he said he, he had to stop playing guitar for like a month because he said like, he said like I'm all done yeah. because Hendrix like blew me blew me out of the water. And and it's like and it's just like he had to get found there, and then he came in back through the the the, the, yeah. the jazz festival, the Montreal Jazz Festival, and that's how he got discovered. But he had been playing on what they call the Chitlin Circuit. He'd been playing behind like Lil Richard and the Isley Brothers, like in from the like 64, 65, 66. I have some of those songs. Yeah. He used to play behind all the great soul acts. But then they would fire him <laughs> because he would hot dog it. And they said, Well, you're 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 trying to be the star. Like Lil Richard kicked him out of his band and said, you, you, there's only one star in my band, it's me. <laughs> and uh and it's funny because you know the Isley Brothers did the same thing. All these big did soul acts, he was playing behind as the rhythm guitar. Sorry to cut you off, but he couldn't get any traction. Videos of Trent Reznor <laughs> in a band called. Sl- you have to go on YouTube and type in Trent Reznor Slam Bamboo, and it's a video of this like '80s band, so so Ooh. '80s, like the hair, the clothes. But then Trent Reznor is playing synth, dressed in all black. And during this time, he was actually writing Pretty Hate Machine. But he must have just been playing these gigs, you know, for money. Mm-hmm. And it's so, oh my God, it's like so yeah, yeah. funny because he just looks so out of place and it's awkward and like doesn't want to be there. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes you end up being, you know, where you yeah. don't want to be, but you have to do it to get the money. Uh, and yeah, like that's a great decision to do. I mean, I'm looking into, like, I almost got, well, I had a, invite to go to france the south of france one time to play this gig and then I, I wasn't able to do it but it was like that you know playing in another country i actually nice. was in tokyo in 2004 to 2006 and like, I like the, the japanese audience is unbelievable like if you ever get yeah yeah tokyo is unbelievable like if you ever get to play there it's it's one of the best places to play as yeah, a musician because the like... fans are totally into you um they're different though they okay. might be <laughs> they don't get super excited and so you might be like, <laughs> oh, I don't know if they're digging me, but but they they they, they do dig you, and and they're very yeah. loyal, and they they they'll actually know your name, they'll know all <laughs> kinds of information about you, and you're like, what? that's definitely on my list too. <laughs> I, I said like I want to go to UK, you know? I want to go to Berlin, I'd love to see Tokyo and just play shows there because I think that the yeah the the more alternative yeah Berlin's you know, too. culture yeah. of music is like like thriving there still you know yeah well that's yes. what you and bowie did all that low and in all their yes, great you I know al- those them. really experimental bowie albums like heroes and low those are the yeah. berlin time period when he was working with Eno and all these guys that stuff is like i, I still am totally drawn um, into that i probably listen to low all the time uh hanging up <laughs> on my wall <laughs> Well, I love Eno. I mean, Eno is such a great producer. That's the kind of producer I like because he, that's the kind of producer, he takes what you have and then he makes it better and he doesn't like ignore what you're doing, but he, he, he actually just like embellishes what you're doing and he doesn't, it doesn't feel like he's just changing you to change you. He, He makes you a better artist, you know, and that's, that's the kind of producer I've always been drawn to people that, that do that. I actually got to work with some people on his team on a song I did for a, a label called Mojo Heads, and um, yeah, they, they had one of his guys like take one of my songs, and they just they just adjusted it in such a way they they did things with my song. They just time shifted yeah. things, they moved things around, like the way right. he does stuff. And it's just that was such a cool thing to to see how they do things. Um, and that's the kind of producer I've always been like. Don't be a destructive producer. <laughs> You know, be a producer that makes you like uh, feel like you're 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 getting em- embellished, and you know that yeah. you don't lose your original ideas. But um, yeah, so this is this has been cool. And one of the things um, we like to do with our show is like when you're ready to 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 go out on the road or or present um, more material, we we have people come back. We've had bands come back two three times. Um, to like do do uh, you know reveals on the new material or new things they're working on, whether yeah. it's just a single or a whole new EP or a whole album sure. or videos Absolutely. or whatever, yeah, we have totally people come back. Down. So, <laughs> it, 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 
Yeah, we're, so we're we're very happy to have have you have you on trust, and we're gonna actually put the link to your um, Spotify and, and to your your main Music website, too. It's and be um, this will go out on the left. We'll be there soon. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, we're on all the platforms. Our podcast cool. is on eleven platforms, including Apple and Spotify. We actually are part of the Spotify family because Anchor is part of Spotify. Um, but we do actually still work with Apple and our podcast will be on Apple. It will be on Google. It will be on Radio Public and Overcast. And like I said, there are 11 platforms that we're on. I will send you the links um, after this. It takes me like an, up to an hour. It might come out sooner uh, to get this ready to be out there. But yeah, we're, we're happy to have you on, Trist. And we're hoping that we're actually at the ghost. Oh, we yes, we play in New York. We played at Black Door 51. <laughs> we played. I played there. I think yeah, we, we, we played in a couple <laughs> places. And, you know. Uh, yeah, I played twice in 2017. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back. I, I, I actually oh, had a show that I was supposed to do around. at Fat I Baby in Manhattan. I had one of Manhattan. my first gigs there um, with my old band. <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, I mean, I I was I, I did something there, but I haven't. I don't know if they're still around. But that, yeah, I love New York, and, and you know, I, I live in New Hampshire, but New York is where we I have to play <laughs> because people around here just want to hear folk music, and so the kind of music I play, is, is like there are ton, tons of places in New York where I get to play. So one day you yeah, might see totally. me in New York again when they <laughs> lift the quarantine. But um, yeah, I would love to see your awesome. show. So like, when you're out there, like maybe I'll get out there and see your, one of your shows. But um, yeah, me. it's really cool to have you on. And um, again, we'll be put, put yeah, we'll put this out out to everybody. And everybody, go out to Spotify, go out to Apple once it's out I, there. Yeah, I'm yeah, going to. The are you on Amazon type too? In, uh, Trist Vulgar Virtue, and you will find me. <laughs> okay, great. Like any platform out there, please download, purchase, buy, do everything possible to support indie artists. Because, uh, uh, you know, a lot of indie artists aren't able to tour right now. So anything you can do to help them on their social media and what they're, what they're selling and what they're doing, please do that. We've told everybody that listens to a band on this yeah. show, please support the bands that we talk awesome. to. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So we'll me. talk to you night. later. Thank you very much for being on the show.